And um, I, I think tonight, since it's it's March 30th, we probably are going to cover a topic called outcast. You know, I don't know what your life has looked like. I know a lot of you well. Some of you were still getting to know each other. But I know that we're the most prosperous nation on the planet, and yet one of the more common things we do is position ourselves as a victim. Uh, if all of the nations were people, we would be the rich young ruler. I mean, there's just no question about this. Uh, when you look at the fact that most of the world doesn't have clean water, and, you know, we'll have probably tonight eight or ten bottles of water that weren't all the way finished, left in the sanctuary. We are rich beyond comparison with any other nation. Uh, the fact that we not only have a car in a family, but several cars. This is unique in the world. And yet, somehow or another, the devil has managed to convince many people, even in the body of Christ, that they're on the outside of things. They are the one that is uh, downcast and outside. Well, I've been there. I understand that. This is a powerful lie from the enemy, and I, I want to talk to you about it tonight. Let's start in the 21st chapter of Genesis, and uh, we'll start with the first verse. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. That'll preach right there. How gracious has the Lord been to you? Has He done what He has promised? Maybe a better question is, have you done what you've promised Him? Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised it. Boy, isn't that amazing? It sounds as if the promises of God are altogether trustworthy. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said... God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There is always a group of people that feels God moving in their lives. They can see promises have come about. When they look back, they say things like, The Lord has been so good to me. No matter what you ask them, the answer is always that they're blessed. And it could be easy to envy someone like that. Because while this is happening, something else is happening. There is another man, another boy, if you will, probably a young teenager, who is watching this. And he sees dad and uh, a kind of stepmother rejoicing over something. And there's room for envy. There's room for jealousy. Look what happens. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. You ever feel like the whole world is feasting, but you have no reason to feast? I one time was sitting in an attorney's office, and I shared baby pictures with the people that were there. I was very proud. I think Abigail had just been born. And one of the women burst into tears and ran out of the room. I had no idea that I could surmise at that point that this was not a joyous thing for her to endure. Have you ever been in a situation where everybody seemed to re be rejoicing around you, but you just didn't feel like you could participate in it? Mm -hmm. The devil ever convinced you that if you're part of the body of Christ, you're somewhere near the table? I mean, I'm asking you these questions, and I know they're somewhat rhetorical. I don't expect you to answer from the audience, <coughs> but if we're honest, 
we've probably all heard each other give some what was me stories, some pity tales. We've probably all seen each other have some days where we didn't feel like getting out of bed. Listen to what happens. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. Now this word mocking, you know, let's be honest. What two teenagers could you put in a room or two siblings could you put in a room and one not make fun of the other one a little bit? We've often made Ishmael out to be uh, something that is just bad because there are some prophecies in his life that are difficult. We forget that God had a plan for his future as well. Sometimes when you look at the favor that is upon, say, Isaac, it's easy to demonize or look down upon Ishmael. But Ishmael was a young man born with dreams. He wanted a future, all of those things. And is he getting a fair shake in life? It would be easy for him to paint himself as a victim, wouldn't it be? Get rid of that slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. This is famous to us because Paul quotes it in Galatians. And we have all kind of ways that we apply it. But we need to remember in all of our theology that it was an actual child. <coughs> you ever felt cast out? You ever felt outside of a circle? People didn't recognize your talent? They didn't look with favor upon you? How did you react? The matter greatly distressed Abraham. Or the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. It's funny, I've been so biased in reading this. I love the Jewish nation. All of my thoughts are on Isaac, the supernatural son born in power, that I misunderstood which son he was distressed about. He's not distressed about Isaac being mocked. He's distressed about the fact that he may have to part ways with Ishmael. I want you to know something. Whether your brothers treat you well, whether maybe you mess things up and sinned against your brothers and are having to reap some benefits from that, no matter what your scenario is, the Father is very concerned with your situation because you're His children. Whether you think you're the senator's son that Creedence Clearwater Revival sang about, <laughs> or you think that you're the red-headed stepchild, the Father is concerned about your situation. There's not a person in here that was not born with a destiny. Some people's destiny is very obvious from the moment they're born. Others seems to be a little more obscure. But there's nobody that was wasted because you're children of your father. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Ladies, you've got to love that one. I mean, Sarah actually called Abraham master at one point in her life, but God Himself told Abraham, you need to listen to Sarah. That's a great balancing, isn't it? All right, don't tell Jen that's in the Word, okay? <laughs> because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also. Stop there for a minute. Is it only Isaac that will be blessed? No, Ishmael will be blessed. But why? Is it because of Ishmael's inherently uh, fantastic qualities? No, and it wasn't because of Isaac's inherently fantastic qualities. It's not because Isaac was in perfection or is Ishmael was in perfection. It's because God's affection was on them. Do you know why? Because he is your offspring. 
I want to tell you that you may be able to look at a brother around you and go, oh, well, God obviously favors them. We can see the plan of God in their life. If you are His offspring, His affection is upon you. The devil's played terrible tricks and we've listened to them too long. We've decided that someone else is worthwhile and we're not. We've decided in looking that they can do it, but, but we, we can't. If you're God's offspring, He has a plan for you. A good plan. In fact, Ishmael's plan... Did you know that Ishmael spawned 12 tribes just like Isaac did? 12! That's an amazing thing. Now the prophecies over them, I mean, they play an antagonistic role. You can see it in the Middle East today. But the man was blessed and nations came from him. Let's talk about Abraham for just a minute. Did he get his way with Ishmael? He probably would have preferred to keep Ishmael close. Would like to mentor him. I mean, he loved Ishmael. But that was not God's plan. One son was close, one son was distant. Did it affect God's ability to bring fruit out of their lives. Not at all. There are some things that are simply out of our control. But God's destiny stands nevertheless. Even nations can kick against His will. But they can't change it. Abraham loved these children. He was distressed over the scenario. But because they were Abraham's children, Abraham's legacy would live through them. Abraham was going to be a blessing to the whole world. And God did that through both of his children. You know, we've talked a lot about a revival in Israel. Can you imagine anything that would be more moving to the Jewish nation than seeing Hamas throw down their guns and embrace the Jewish king, Yeshua? Friends, all you have to do is YouTube it. There are children of Ishmael all over the globe that are seeing open visions of Jesus. Some of the most powerful testimonies you will ever see. This may be why Paul made much of his ministry among the Gentiles. I doubt he had Americans in mind. In the hopes that he would arouse some of his own people to envy. Maybe it was Ishmael he was thinking of. Hmm. How about that? I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. It's a funny thing. You watch families, and if, if there's an inheritance situation, it's not uncommon for siblings to begin to squabble. What is Ishmael's inheritance going to be? Well, he gets a doggy back. He gets a skin of water. He doesn't even get to grow up in his daddy's house. But that's not going to affect his future. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went away and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. This is an important thing. We say Columbus discovered America. America. Was it called America when he discovered it? I mean, was there a sign out there? The name America comes from Amerigo Vespucci, a map, map maker who put his name on a continent, right? So it wasn't called America when he discovered it. It was called many things by the tribes who were here. Neither is this land called Beersheba at this time. It hasn't been named yet. Because Beersheba has a very special name that comes later in the chapter. It shows up in every patriarch's life. And yet, when looking backwards in history, we can say He sent him into the desert of Beersheba. It's an amazing thing that happens in the desert of Beersheba. This is where we learn about our God's provision 
and His eternal covenant. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Now you can get the impression from this kind of language, she put the boy under one of the bushes. We're talking about a, a wee little baby. He's probably Judah's age. So she tells him, sit under this tree. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. Now, forget the nations that are coming forth. Forget the overall picture of God's divine plan through the nations. And let's just take this down to a human level. Can you relate to a mother who concerned that her son's not going to live? And she begins to cry. Now, do you feel anything for somebody like that? Who's in the desert, they've been cast out of a secure place. They don't know how they're going to... Is there not a single mom in here that has ever had to sign a lease on an apartment without a job? And you didn't know what you were going to do? <clears throat> Maybe the one who said he would love you all of your life suddenly didn't want anything to do with you or the children that you're born. There's nobody that can relate to that. I kind of bet you can. I remember when I was a little boy hearing my mother fight with my father on the phone while your children will sit on the floor if you won't give us any furniture. I remember those discussions. I remember her crying. This is a Bible story, but it's also real people. I want you to hear this next verse. It's an important one. God heard the boy crying. And an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what an amazing thing. Mom's crying. The boy's crying. Mom's crying for the boy. God hears the boy and goes to the mom and says, it's okay. He's going to be alright. Listen to this. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Was there ever another mother who cried because things had been told to her about her son? Maybe she had to give him up for dead. Maybe later she'd be called a slave woman. But the son would turn into a great nation. I bet you didn't know that Ishmael could be a picture of Jesus too, did you? Didn't Mary have to watch her son be lifted up in death? Didn't a great nation come from him? All of these kind of things happen in a desert. They happen in a place where your water's gone. Where you have nothing left to give except your trust in God. Then God, I'm sorry, lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. I want you to go through these steps with me. He says, do not be afraid. Lift the boy up. Then He gives a promise about the boy. How many times have we been in a scenario where you couldn't see anything except, here's the dirty word, the injustice. And because you're consumed with feelings of injustice, and maybe consumed with feelings of fear or jealousy. You can't see what is going on around you. This is a prescription for success in the Bible. When we begin to lift those problems up before the Lord, when we begin to believe His promises, something happens. 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. I want to ask you something. Do you think that God simply made a well of water appear? Or had it been there the entire time and she was unable to see it because of her sobbing, because of her feeling of injustice, because fear was smothering her faith like a blanket covering her, suffocating her? How many times in our life is there a well of water, a silver lining in the cloud that we simply cannot see because we are blinded by the negative circumstances that have caused us to feel certain ways? I want to give you a little clue. That made me angry. He made me sad. Nobody can make you do anything. It is a choice. And the power of the Holy Ghost can cause you to look at somebody who has broken every bone in your body and love them. Say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The power of the Holy Ghost can show you how to see a well of salvation in the midst of death. You need to decide which spirit you want to be influenced by. I tell you, I never saw anybody delivered by a friend called pity. I've never seen anybody sit, sob, paint themselves as a victim and their life go better for it. In fact, I have observed in only 36 years that two people going through exactly the same hardship will experience it differently based on which direction the corners of their mouth are pointing. Everything becomes harder. Everything becomes drudgery just by losing your joy. This is why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I want to tell you, I believe this so strongly, I'm fond of telling people, fake it until you make it. <laughs> Put the smile on your face till it shows up in your heart. Do whatever. If you have to run around your house uh, like a crazy person, do it. It is worth it. The alternative is to miss all of the goodness that's going on around you simply because of the injustice of your life. You know, if you have two siblings, you almost always have one almost always have one that despises something about the other and it's usually that the father favored them. You have three siblings, it gets even more complicated. This is human nature and it's diseased. Were you born in the right family? We were born of the same diseased stock, you and I, Adam and Eve. No matter whether you had done good or bad, from the moment that you were born, you were born to a slave that could not inherit the promises. And somewhere cast outside of God's presence comes the call to lift up what's left of your life, to let God give you a new set of eyes and see that there's been a well there all along. How many people in here have said, well, I found Jesus, or Jesus found me, or any of those things, and then I saw Jesus? Let's be honest. The Word teaches that God is everywhere. Just like this well was always there. What kept us from making contact with Him earlier? It's almost always your own bitterness, your own mully grubbing, your own problems. And He'll meet you there. Just like He met this boy there. He'll meet you in the midst of your sobbing. But He will not leave you there. You know, the only way Ishmael does not become a great nation, the only way God's destiny does not work for him is if he refuses to get up and drink from this well. 
And friend, Isaiah says when you drink from the water of salvation, you do it with joy. This is why the devil is always working to make us sad. I've seen something in America that is sickening. You can give your children an Xbox, an iPod, a new car. It doesn't matter. The joy fades quickly. You give a child a bag of flour and a bottle of water in most places in the world and they're happy for a month. Why is our joy so fleeting? Why are we so convinced that we're victims? Could it be that God is trying to open our eyes? Trying to show us that there is an untapped well right around the corner? We just have to trust Him for it. Then God opened her eyes. It's important that you get then He opened her eyes because He will not open your eyes before you lift up the problem to Him. He will not open your eyes while you are sitting blaming Him for the injustice of your life. He opens your eyes only when you take that which is wrong and you raise it before Him and you crucify it. It's the only way. So, you had a bad divorce. I understand. It is a horrible thing. As long as we sit around and talk about how bad it was, how wrong you were done, we're preventing you from moving to something that is a blessing in your life. The path to success is always lifting this problem up before Him, being crucified with it, it to you and you to it, that you might walk in a new direction with the Lord. You know, they say in Texas, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes, it'll change. The same can be true of your spiritual condition. You don't have to be defeated any longer than you want to be defeated. Jesus said, I have overcome all the power of the enemy. It's up to you when you tap into that. Why do we feel like we have to suffer for a little while? Why do we feel like we have to dwell in it a little while? Friends, our king has overcome all the power of the enemy. And in Luke 10, he said he gave you power over all the power of the enemy. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. That's another type of Jesus. 2 Samuel 22 says Jesus' arms can bend a bronze bow. It means somebody who is a straight shooter. His life was on target. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Apparently not only did he not die, he had a future. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. It seems like an abrupt change. And it's not an abrupt change. We're still dealing with a certain geography. Uh, Abimelech and Phicol are standing with Abraham in a desert that would later be called Beersheba. The very same desert that this young boy and his mom wandered out into. The same desert where there was a well that she couldn't see while she was dwelling in her problems. Now Abraham is standing there with a foreign monarch and his warlord. Phicol is, is his commander in arms. And who is Abraham standing with? Nobody. You ever been alone and outnumbered? The Bible is a story of an underdog. It's the story of somebody who had nothing left but the power of God and it was enough. What if Abraham simply sat down right here and cried and said, life is so unfair. But he didn't. 
He faces the foreign monarch. He faces his warlord. And they have a conversation. And it turns out that God was with him in everything is how the foreign monarch saw his life. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? Isn't this a strange setting? We move from a son who was cast out into a desert that was yet to be named and later would be called Beersheba. The boy is crying. The mom is crying. Death has surrounded them. And God intervenes somewhere in the midst of their death-filled desert. And He shows them a well that saves their life. And now Abraham is in that very same place having a, a, a discussion with a foreign monarch and his warlord. And what does it revolve around? A well. Wouldn't you think that if two heads of state were meeting, they would have something more important to talk about than a water fountain? Yet in the ancient world, what could be more important than clean drinking water? Why was this so important to Abraham? He goes and gets sheep and cattle and seven ewe lambs. Abimelech is kind of blown away by this. He goes, what's the meaning of that? What did I'm, look, are you trying to swindle me here? Uh, you're trying to make me feel guilty? What's going on? What is seven in the Bible, saints? Perfect. He's going to make a perfect treaty or covenant with Abimelech. To Abraham, it is important to secure this wealth for all of his descendants. And in the Bible, you didn't just... These, these seven new lambs weren't going to be chained to this well and drink from it. They were going to be cut into halves. And Abraham and Abimelech would walk between the pieces. This would be a treaty between the two of them. If either of us breaks this covenant that we're about to make, what was done to these perfect seven new lambs, it would be done to us. I would say that's pretty serious, huh? You ever have anybody cut their finger and say, Blood brothers? You're like, don't know if I like you that much. <laughs> this is a pretty serious event. Why would Abraham go through so much trouble? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well, so that the place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Abraham does something. He negotiates with the warlord and this foreign monarch. He wants to own this well that was a source of life for he and his people. It's the very same well that had saved Ishmael's life, but it's more than that. When we say from Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba, this becomes the southern boundary in Israel that still stands there today. Do you know that you can drive to this well today? I personally stood at it. It would become a marker for all time that God met the needs of His people. And who first had their need met there? Ishmael. He wasn't even the favored son. Kind of like us. 
Abraham did something as soon as he acquired the will. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. As soon as he got the well, it wasn't enough to own it. He took a tamarisk tree, which is perennial. It's, it's evergreen. And he planted it there as a marker. In the ancient ways, this was a way to say, this is an everlasting, never-fading marker how you find a well. And if it was your life that was on the line, if you were in the middle of the desert without water, you would look up and see what could only be called the tree of life, marking the way of salvation. And who first found it? It wasn't the favored son. It was the one who needed it the most. You need to remember something about our God. He never gives people what they deserve. He gives them what they need the most. And if what you need is mercy, He will give you mercy. The one thing that He will not do is indulge your selfish nature. He won't pat you on the back and leave you in pity. He will heal you and tell you to stand up and carry your man. I want to tell you, friends, long before your body is ever resurrected, your attitude must be good. Long before you ever see victory in the kingdom of God to come, you have to find victory in the moments of emotional chaos now. Our God takes things from chaos, tohu, vavohu, into order. Shalom. This is what He does. And He begins by ordering our lives. Now it's an amazing thing. The favored son. What was his name? Isaac. The supernatural son. It's late on a Wednesday, so I won't read it to you, but if you let me, I'll tell you about it. In Genesis 26, Abraham's son has an encounter with Abimelech and Phicol. See, it was, a, it was a famine that drove Abraham the first time into this land. Isn't it amazing how God will use a great hunger to drive you to a place? Maybe where you were, you can give an amen for this, Z. maybe where you were, there was a hunger that was not being met. So you got in a car and you drove somewhere hoping to have the hunger. Why have you gone to revivals that were states away? Because you wanted something. So Abraham marks this tree as a response to a famine. In Genesis 26, there is a famine. He makes it a point to say this is different than the famine that Abraham experienced. It was in his son's life, Isaac. And guess who he finds himself dealing with? Abimelech and his warlord. And you know what they're fighting about? The wells had been stocked up with earth. Once you've found this way of salvation, the enemy has a way of saying, okay, well, it's yours. I mean, we all know you're saved, Cody, but look, along with that salvation, why don't we pack some gift? Could we put some shame on you? Is there a way that we could take some of this dirt that you're escaping and shove it into the well so that it doesn't flow like that? Phicol's people, Abimelech's uh, 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 people, had been pouring dirt in the wells so that the people of God could not receive the life from them they were supposed to. So do you know what the promised son went about doing? He cleared them out. He made the water clean. 
And if he unstopped this well and moved on to the next, and they stopped it up, he unstopped that one and moved on to the next. And he does it over and over and over. Read the 26th chapter. And you know what the conclusion of Abimelech is? We can see that God blesses you wherever you go and whatever you do. See, on TV right now, they'll tell you that the whole world will know how blessed you are because you're rich. I want to tell you that's a lie. But what is true is the whole world will know your God's with you when no matter what the adversity that is poured at you, it doesn't stop up your will. In the middle of the famine, the 26th chapter says about Isaac, God blessed his crops a hundredfold. The last well that he digs in the 26th chapter is in an interesting place. If you have a chance to be on a mountaintop, or you have a chance to be in a valley, where do we choose to be with the Lord? Oh, I want those mountaintop experiences. Lord, like Moses, speak to me. Blah, 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 blah. They dig wells in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. Your wells in your life will come from your Ishmael experiences. They will come when your waters go, when your relatives have turned their back on you. I mean, think about what David said in the Psalms. Can you imagine not liking David? Who could not like David? Aside from Saul. He said, though my father and mother forsake me, you will not, Lord. Your well will always come for you in that dry place where you think you're going to die because you're worn out. Samson called it in Hakor. A fountain for him to cry. God opened up a hollow place in a rock at Lehi and fed him. Where do you expect to be fed? Friends, it's in our hardships that we find out who Jesus is, and this is why you are never a victim. This is how you can be more than a conqueror. Because the further the devil beats you into a hole, the greater your deliverance is. I want to encourage you that you will never see salvation and the deliverance of God thrown your own pity party. When you begin to lift up your promise, when you begin to hold up your problem, when you begin to look at the snake, on the bronze pole. This is where deliverance comes. And then a well that has always been there will suddenly become accessible to you. You remember Gehazi, Elijah's servant? He's terrified. Look, the armies are all surrounding us. But Elijah could see something he couldn't. He prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And suddenly he saw chariots of fire all they were always there. He could just see them there. See, our God doesn't need to change your circumstances. He needs to change your vision. Isn't faith being certain of something that you can't see? On the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples saw Jesus transfigured right before their eyes. I want to ask you, was Jesus any different that moment than ten minutes earlier? No, it was just in their eyes He was transfigured. He always said that to them. Friends, our God is able to give you a new set of eyes. The Bible declares that His glory covers the earth. What is lacking is our knowledge of that glory. I want to tell you, find a way in your circumstances to begin to praise Him. As you praise Him, you will begin to hear from Him. Judah and Simeon fight their battles together. Praising and hearing from God are two partners. As you praise Him and begin to hear from Him, 
suddenly wells will pop up all around you because our God's arms are not too short. This is why Jesus told the woman at the well that if he knew, or if she knew who he was, she would ask him for a drink of water. Friends, we don't have any problems. We just need to ask the right person for help. I find it interesting that the angel showed up and said, Hagar, what are you crying about? Doesn't that seem insensitive? I mean, of course we know what she's crying about. But from a heavenly perspective, there was no problem because God could see the well. I want to tell you, our king can see things you can't see. You know, he can. There was once a pilot, and he was coming in to make his approach. And the tower told him to do thus and so. The pilot said, but what about the bill? response from the tower is priceless. It works for all Christians. He says, you worry about the instructions and let us worry about the obstructions. Friends, this is what we need to do with the King of Kings. Let us heed his instruction. Let him worry about the obstructions. And what we will find is he makes mountains level ground for our feet. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not trying to imitate the churches that are around us. I'm just telling you that in my darkest, crushed hours, there was a time in Lafayette, I was literally laid out on the floor, not sure I was going to stay safe. These are the moments that you look up and you find the well. And you know in that moment who Jesus is to you. It's not just a story you heard, not an experience you had a long time ago. In that moment, He becomes your Savior all over again. And it almost never occurs unless everybody you know has turned their back on you. It almost never occurs unless it looks hopeless beyond belief. But in those moments, this is where we can plant a tree and say, no, no, when I needed him, he was there and be there for you too. Isaiah 56 says it about our Lord. He dwells in the high and lofty places, but also in the broken and contrite heart. How do they get that thing? How does your heart get broken and contrite? It's almost never because you feel the most favored and the most blessed. It's usually because some injustice has ground you into the ground. This is the place that all life occurs. It's the valley where the wells are dug. It's the desert that will mark your boundaries forever. By the way, in Israel's history, there was only one prophet that did not come from the desert region. Out of 350 cities that you can go point to on a map today that are in the Bible and are now discovered archaeological sites, 300 of them are in the desert. This is where God forms His people. It's where you learn to trust God. You never know until it's put to the test. You never know until you have no choice but to trust it or it be obvious that you did. I find it funny that she put the boy a bow shot away and later he becomes an archer. How far can you shoot? Now stand up, we'll pray. Sunday I'm going to bring a word that I'll have prayed about. I'll have something good for you. What will you bring to church? It's supposed to be a song, a hymn, a prophecy, a word of instruction. Our meetings are not complete you don't show up with something for your brothers. Now this Sunday will be easy. It's potluck. 
In our church, we favor desserts. But the Bible says that a choice word, a right word, a word spoken aptly, it's like a choice morsel. You never know, but that thought that you have for your brother or sister that you're too shy to say may be pointing to a well in the middle of their desert place. You don't know the number of times that a stranger came and said something to me that changed the direction of my life. The question is, why did it have to be a stranger? Don't let what is familiar enough right in front of you become a source of contempt. We need to love each other. We need to be praying for the people that are sitting around us. And when you're in a church service, you're not hoping to hear from God for you. You're hoping to hear a word of encouragement for your brothers and sisters. Dustin's had to work a little bit lately. He hasn't been here as much. That can make a person feel outside the circle. But he could have used a word of encouragement from you. Uh, you have what your brother needs to live. Have you ever been hanging on by a thread? I have. I've been there more times than I really would like to admit if we're honest. None of us want to be weak. But when we're weak, what is he? Oh. That's because that's where the well is. Yeah. Amen? Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, you've given us a simple word, but it could be powerful if we live it. But we ask that you would embed this in our hearts, that it would be more than something that has tickled our ears, that it would fertilize the soil of our heart, that faith might grow. Lord, that in hardship we could find a silver lining, Lord, that we would learn perseverance and character and hope and not be disappointed. Mighty God, that we would learn obedience through the things that we suffer. Holy One, we count it an honor to endure hardship for Your glory. Help us do it as sons and not as slaves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Sunday, come with the Word. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to have a building list Sunday for help. I'm sore and tired. <laughs>